Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Style That Binds Us podcast. We are very excited to have Leatrice Eisman, who is the director of the Eisman Center for Color Information and Training, as well as the executive director of Pantone of the Color Institute with Pantone. Lee is a color specialist, author, educator, and speaker. She has actually written 10 books on color. Thank you, Lee, for being here. My pleasure. So I would like to start right away talking about your interesting career and what interested you in color and led you to found your Center for Color Information and work with Pantone. Well, uh, I'll shorten the story because it is a long one. <laughs> it's, a long, <laughs> it's a long road that I took uh, prior to the time that people even knew what color consultants were, what we did. We had to educate the public and business to let them know that color was such an important factor. As far as where it started, it always starts in your childhood, right? If you have that sense of color, uh, if you have that love of color, you know from the time you're a little kid that somebody gives you a box of crayons and you go absolutely berserk with the crayons, scribbling out of the lines, in the lines, and you just love to play with color. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you, you're an artist necessarily, because I'm not an artist. I've, I've done collages and things like that, uh, and I put colors together. But what I'm referring to is that sense of being so aware of the color around you. I think that kids that have that predilection uh, will engage you in talk about color and they'll look at colors and, and, and describe the colors. And as I said, engage you in conversation. So you can usually tell when a kid is, is very involved with color and that's how I started. And I was fortunate to have a mother and an aunt who lived with us who encouraged me greatly. I mean, it was never, oh, you should never use those colors together. Um, it was always with great abandonment that I could use whatever colors I like. And they realized even as a, a young person that uh, I had a very good sense of color. Uh, and maybe some of that came from my mother who had a love affair with a paintbrush in that instead of doing spring cleaning every year, she <laughs> repaint the inside of the house. And we lived, <laughs> we lived in a very small row house in Baltimore where there are lots of row houses. Mm -hmm. So it was very easy in a day, you could repaint the inside of the house. So I'd come home from school one day, never knowing what color was going <laughs> to rain that particular year from spring to the next spring. I mean, she, she decided, she said it makes things look cleaner and fresher and brighter. And she had a great sense of color. So I, I grew up with that kind of, um, it's okay. To, to have fun with color. When I went to school, I um, studied color, I studied design. Uh, there was not a lot around as far as color was concerned. So you had to do a lot of your own, um, your own work on finding it. I was fortunate to take a uh, advanced program at UCLA where I was allowed to do a practicum on color. And that was hugely important to me because essentially it was about the psychology of color. And I felt that that was an area that I really needed to concentrate on. I knew I had a good sense of color aesthetically, but it was the psychology of color that was really important to me. And I developed, I wrote my first book. I developed a program, More Alive with Color, 
which is based on a color timed system that I have developed called the Color Clock. That was my first book. That book came to the attention of Lawrence Herbert, who was at that time the CEO of Pantone. And he said he had um, ideas of starting a color institute. Would I be interested with my background in psychology and aesthetics? And I said, sure, but I live on the West Coast. My husband was in the music business. Uh, there was no way we were going to leave Los Angeles because uh, he was with 20th Century Fox at the time. And that was our home base. And he said, it's okay. He said, you know, there's a new, a new invention called the fax machine. <laughs> uh, we can stay in touch and call after seven o'clock at night because it's less expensive. And so I had my office 3,000 miles away from Pantone. And uh, I have remained on the West Coast for all of these years that I have worked with Pantone. Of course, I go, I did go back and forth frequently, far less frequently now, because, you know, we talk to each other every day. We, we Zoom each other. We're constantly, you know, in contact. So it's gotten even easier to stay in touch with the folks at Pantone. So it's enabled me to put my eggs in two baskets, one with Pantone and the other with the Eisman Center for Color Information and Training, which has allowed me the opportunity to work in a very broad range of color, which of course I love because I love the challenge. So that's kind of a, a quick synopsis of how I got here. <laughs> You, two things resonated with me from that. One is I would love to have the interior of my house painted every year a different color. I think that sounds fabulous. <laughs> I think that sounds wonderful, and it does make all the difference. Everything's so fresh and mm -hmm. bright. It's a new beginning. Um, and the other thing is I just sometimes I realize things about like Delia and probably your daughter too. She doesn't remember a time when you know, your parents were like, well, if you're calling long distance, you can only call at this time and you can only do it for this amount of money, you know, because it's going to cost so much money. Right. <laughs> now I think we just call anywhere. You know, we can just call on our cell phones and yeah. that's really, I had forgotten about that. But everything you said, of course, on the subject of your career is also fascinating. And so I want to jump right in and ask you, how are the colors of the year for Pantone chosen? I'm so fascinated by that. Well, we do a lot of homework. Uh, it is not uh, a frivolous decision by any matter because what we look at is obviously the mood that the color projects. This year it was two colors. And we do that because that really keeps your finger on the pulse, the zeitgeist of what's going on in the world around you. What does the color say? What does it mean to people? Obviously, not everybody's going to feel exactly the same, mm -hmm. but word association studies, color word association studies that I've done for a long time, a pretty good reading on how people respond to particular colors, whether it's positive, negative, or sometimes indifferent. We factor that in to the most important area of how we choose the color. In addition to that, we look at the world of art, because today, having just seen the Van Gogh immersive exhibit in Phoenix, and I know people all around the world have seen it already and are continuing to see it. When an artist becomes very popular, has a, uh, if it's a new artist or someone, uh, you know, like Van Gogh, who's been around forever, that encourages designers in particular to use a lot of the colors that are symbolic of those particular artists. So we look at art collections. Where are they traveling? 
who is seeing them, how many people, who's the artist, did they have particular colors that they used. Uh, we look at the world of entertainment. That is certainly important, very important, because again, millions of people all over the world are watching similar movies today. It's not just that they're made in the US and they're never seen in Japan or in Korea or any other place. Movies travel the world and we see foreign films. So we get this infusion of color that comes to us by, you know, what are we looking ahead to? What are some of the newer movies that are out there? Is color a theme? Is color going to be an important part? If so, what colors? And I will tell you the most important themes that we look at and the most important pictures are the animated films, uh, the kids' films, because uh, the graphic designers, the animators are so immensely talented and they are so up on what the newest color trends are going to be, or they help to create those trends by the colors that they use that theme the pictures. So we look at animated film as well. We look at the field of gaming. We look at the digitized world and also the product world. Are there new products that are coming on the scene that are starting to be uh, talked about now? We're not seeing them in the marketplace yet, but we're going to see them next year, whenever we're going to name that uh, color of the year. We also look at the sports world. Uh, is there a big sports event that's happening? Uh, the colors of the flag of the country that that sports event is being held in. Is it getting a lot of attention online? Are people talking about it? Is it a subject of discussion? Again, what are the colors that surround that? So that's kind of an, an overview of what we look at. Of course, we always look at fashion. That goes without saying, because many of the fashion designers are the first ones to push the envelope when they are experimenting with colors and color combinations. So we look ahead. We're not looking at what's on the runway today, but we're looking at what is forecast for the future so that we, again, can coordinate that with the release of our color so that the color has meaning. It has um, substantial meaning behind it. Again, it's not chosen just out of, oh, we haven't done orange in a long time. Let's do orange. It's not a frivolous decision. It's a very serious decision because we know it's influencing a lot of people. Mm -hmm. In all different areas. Exactly. Exactly. With, you know, with fashion and also with home decor and everything else. Um, that is just amazing. I never thought about that. I mean, that is such interesting research. And how do you even find out like what products will be coming next year? Well, remember that part of my work is uh, both on my own and with Panchone is to do consulting for product. Mm -hmm. And um, so we have kind of an indication, not that we are going to divulge what a particular client is doing because that would not no. be but we can understand the conversations that are going on, what's being talked about. And many times you will go online and you will see this product isn't out yet, but it's being worked on. Right. One of the organizations I belong to is the um, industrial design and as well as the fashion group and ASID. So yeah. I, I have access to information from a lot of different areas. And besides that, when you work in a particular color, you have colleagues, uh, friends, people that you work mm -hmm. with. I participate in what is called the Pantone View Color Planner. And twice a year, I had been going to Europe, to London, to meet mm -hmm. with 
compatriots from other parts of the world. And of course, we've had to do it online the last year and a half. I also do for Pantone a color forecast for home, the home. Mm -hmm. I do that once a year. So I do a lot of research around not only what's happening next year, but looking out to 18 months and two years. So that gives me a leg up. Oh, well, that's that's interesting. And that's kind of what I was going to ask, too, was like how far in advance do you begin the process? Well, for color of the year, we start in the late spring of the previous year, looking at all the, the clues. It is not something you can arrive at in, you know, five minutes. It's something right. that you start to, you know, look at, okay, we're starting to see this particular color in these areas. We're seeing a repeat of it in other areas. Maybe we need to look at that color. Are we going to do a cool or a warm? What are we seeing more of? We start to evaluate and we kind of tighten the group that we're looking at. And as time goes on, we can continue to distill the information until by, I would say, end of summer, uh, mm-hmm. end of summer, we're pretty solid on the direction we need to go in. And then we, you know, we look for what we call um, clue points. We, where, where are the clues out there? What are we seeing? And we start to collect those visually so we have them to refer to. That sounds like a lot of fun, a lot of work, but a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a lot of work. And I also have to come up with color combinations. You know, mm-hmm. it's not only what the color is, but what mm-hmm. work well with it, because that works to inspire people. You know, not the designer certainly can't come up with the combinations, but sometimes you go a little brain dead. <laughs> oh, sure. Or you do things that are just natural to you. This is what you've always done. What we're, we're trying to do with combinations is to get people to open their minds, their eyes to new potential, to how you and where you can use the color. Do you get into the naming process at all? How are the Pantone colors named? Yes, I, I do get into the naming process. And uh, that's a trick because when I first came on board with Pantone, they had 500 colors that were named. Hmm. Uh, in the first year I was there, they said, we're going to take it up to 1,000. And in two years, up to 1,500. Then in a few more years, it went up to 2,000. And now, of course, we have more than, many more than 2,000 colors that I have helped to name. Um, and it, it's a challenge because you want a name that's going to be evocative. Um, you have certain classic colors that you started with, the original 500. Um, so you've got to be careful that if you, you can't do a light, a medium, a dark, because then you'd have to go back and make sure that if you've used that color name before, that it really is a lighter, a medium, or a dark. And besides, that's not particularly inspirational. So again, we try to make it as evocative as possible. It helps to, for people to imagine it. It builds a romance around a color. And I can remember a time when, uh, in the early days, when somebody at Pantone, who was in the, um, not involved in the aesthetics of color at all, was a marketing person. And he said, well, why do you need to name them at all? Just give them a number, you know, like the other, we have a whole system for graphic designers and they don't have names. They just have numbers. And I, <laughs> I said, absolutely unequivocally <laughs> have to name a color. I mean, it's like when you buy a nail polish, you know, 
you know, there's, there's a name attached to it. And, and today you find all kinds of wackadoodle names, but it gets a conversation going. And, and as I said, it is evocative. And of course, designers know that there is a Pantone system. So you can always actually see what the color looks like. But still, the name has that opportunity to um, build a picture around it. I had a friend in Seattle, a, a man, a male friend who uh, was repainting his house. And I asked him what color he was using. He said, I'm not even sure of the color. He said, but it was called Tundra. <laughs> he said, I can't even describe the color to you. But I love the name Tundra. Mm-hmm. It sounds like I was going on an African safari somewhere. Uh, and I, I mean, I just laughed. I thought if ever mm-hmm. there an example of how the romance is, is you know, how you can create that mm-hmm. color by giving it a name. Very much so. That's wonderful. I know there's so many, there's so many one names that come to mind too that, um, yeah, it just takes on a whole new, a whole new level of, of meaning, you know, the names of the colors that are Mm -hmm. so inspiring and you can just picture it in your mind. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it it really does create a picture in your mind instead of like number 35 (laughs) (laughs) or or whatever. Maybe with Chanel number five, it does, but that, right. <laughs> that's about it. That's exactly right. That's that's that came to mind too for me, but that's yeah. yeah. Somehow they can pull that one off. Do you also report seasonal color trends after each fashion week or fashion month? Yes, I do. I work with Women's Wear Daily. We select the top 10 or 12 colors and then we choose the four core colors, you know, the neutral or the basic colors in addition to mm-hmm. that. And I've worked with Rosemary Feidelberg at, at uh, Women's Wear. Um, we'll do that again, you know, when the next season comes up, because that helps those people, particularly those who are in the business of fashion. They can sit down, of course, and watch all the fashion shows, but it's very time consuming. We, we do all that homework for them. And then we come up with what we uh, evaluate after what we have seen coming mm-hmm. way and what designers are telling us then we can evaluate what those top colors are. Yeah, that's great. I can see how that would help buyers too, for sure. We saw the spring 22 ones that recently came out after the most recent fashion week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. All right. Since I do a little bit of this for a living as well, I think I know your answer to this, but what does it mean to be a color psychologist and why is it important for people to pay attention to color? <laughs> well, since so much of my life has been dedicated to it, the first part of your question, the psychology of color is hugely important because even those people, you know, having traveled as much as I have and people ask you what you do, the person you're sitting next to on the plane, and I tell them a color consultant and some get it and some still aren't quite sure they understand what that means. Sometimes, particularly men will say, well, you know, I don't even choose my own ties. My wife does that for me. I don't have an eye for color. I don't have a clue about color. When you start to talk to them and you delve into their childhood, their background, you didn't have a favorite color. Do you remember an experience you had with color? You start to think about it and then they will come up with their stories about particular colors. You know, the first bicycle that they, they, they had. Candy apple red. They never forgot that first bicycle. They were so excited. They got it, you know, at Christmas time and, and couldn't wait for it. But then 
they went for a ride on their new bicycle, fell off and broke a leg and couldn't go <laughs> out and play with their friends. You see, there's a story that's attached. And when you talk to people about likes and dislikes when it comes to color, if it's a dislike, there's generally something traumatic that happens that makes a person dislike a color. And they may have long since forgotten it. It's stored away in their memory banks. Um, and, and we usually bury things we don't want to remember that are unpleasant. And so when I teach my classes, a um, big part of what I teach involves the psychology of color. Because if you can, even if you're working with the CEO of a big company uh, on developing a product color, and they say to you, well, it can't be purple. Well, why <laughs> Uh, I hate purple, which is no reason to reject purple if you're making a, a, a new widget that's going to go out in the marketplace and purple might be exactly the right color. But it's hard to overcome those personal biases that people have about color. Mm -hmm. But if you can engage them in conversation and you have some knowledge of psychology of color, again, what I, I talk about in my books and what I teach in my classes, this is so helpful in understanding where people are coming from and how you can help them overcome those biases and prejudices and use color um, to their advantage and to use it with great joy instead of having these, oh, no, no, you know, things that were taught to them when they were little, you must never use certain colors together. Um, mm -hmm. It doesn't have any meaning in our everyday life, but it, it sticks with us in our memory bank. And that's what we have to dredge up and work our way through. So you become more than a color psychologist. You're a therapist. <laughs> right. <laughs> therapist with your clients. <laughs> right. And I remember sometimes people would say, well, I really like that color, but my mother said I should never wear it. Oh, and my. so, you know, they just have never worn it. And it, uh -huh. You know, like, well, we're going to start wearing it. And, you know, it's an interesting thing. They just assume because obviously, you know, mama knows everything. Mm -hmm. They weren't supposed to wear that color and they were, you know, kind of sad about it. But um, and, it was kind of daring to actually wear it. Are you sure? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, you know what? If you were to engage mama in conversation, she probably mm -hmm. would say, did I really say that? I don't remember saying that. I didn't right. tell her. <laughs> that happened. Or, time too. Right. Or she would say, well, that color reminds me of, it depresses me. That color reminds me of the depression or you know, something like that. So yeah, that's fascinating. Once you can walk them through that, whatever made it happen and say to them, but is that relevant in your life today? Eat the cotton candy, that hot pink cotton candy at the carnival and got a tummy ache. Yes. Uh, um, doesn't mean that that's going to happen today. That happened when you were five years old. <laughs> sandals you can get that fun sundress in that hot pink because it's a great color for you enjoy right. exactly mm -hmm. that's yeah that's wonderful what are some things that inspire you oh gosh um i have to say nature of course has got to be your biggest inspiration if you can just absorb what's happening in the world around you uh, and certainly this move from the Northwest to the Southwest, because <laughs> mm -hmm. I used to live in the Southwest before I moved to the Northwest. So I've, I've had several culture shocks and color shocks in my life. Mm -hmm. Good, because it expands your thinking, it broadens your thinking. But I am experiencing color now in a different kind of light than I did in the Northwest. 
But when I do my color work, I have to remember that people all over the world are buying the product that I might be, you know, helping to analyze. So we've got to choose colors that are going to work in different kinds of light and are going to have the same psychological meaning, uh, regardless of where it's sold. But getting back to your original question, it, it is definitely nature. And having come to Tucson, uh, I mean, the amazing colors that are in the sky, mm -hmm. not have beautiful colors in the Northwest, but in the winter, they were pretty much gray. <laughs> mm -hmm. Here, they're just, uh, I mean, the desert colors are mm -hmm. really astounding. Very dramatic. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're thinking about like, let's say colors for a product and you know, and maybe some countries that color is associated with something, you know, quite negative, that's, is that the kind of thing you all well, you know, you, you do have to think about that, but a lot of it is dependent on the demographics because mm -hmm. today, particularly with younger people who are online all the time, they're watching movies that come from different parts of the world. Mm -hmm. uh, they're looking at the music business, the entertainment business, you know, what are the stars wearing? They are a different mindset than perhaps their right. grandmothers and grandfathers and, and, and sometimes their parents are. Um, they're not so mired down in the old way of thinking. Mm -hmm. That's not to say that, you know, that there aren't certain cultures that revere certain colors. And I'm not saying that's going away. But what I'm saying is that there's just a different mindset today. And you've got to be aware of who your demographics, who are you reaching and what are they seeing? I think a perfect example is uh, when I went to Taiwan for the first time and I had been told uh, with people with a Chinese background, and that's basically where they all came from originally, uh, white is the color of mourning in China. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I went to Taiwan, and I walked down the street to go to the main square, and I saw photography studios that were filled with pictures of Taiwanese brides wearing white wedding dresses. Oh. Chinese brides wearing white uh, dresses. Then I went to the square where on Saturday morning they have all the couples that are um, getting married, having their pictures taken. Right. Every single bride had on a white dress, just like in the Western world. Mm. And that was such a big eye opener to me. And I asked the people at the Textile Federation that asked me to come to Taiwan. I said, I had always heard, you know, mm -hmm. and if I hadn't come to Taiwan, I wouldn't have experienced this firsthand. And they said, well, yeah, it's different for young people. They might still have the other ceremony where they dress in traditional red gown because exactly. they re receive their money gifts. Yeah. But, uh, but they, they also want the glamour and the romance of the beautiful white veil and the white gown. So they have two ceremonies. So uh, that's a good way of, of looking at how things have changed for young people and that you have to stay on top of that and be aware of it because mm -hmm. they're the buyers of your products too. Right. And that makes sense because they're, they're, they're more um, global generation. I had a client who on Friday, she did the traditional Chinese tea, tea ceremony with the red dress. And then uh -huh. on Saturday they had, cause she married an American boy. So on Saturday they um, did the, you know, the white wedding. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a perfect example. You experienced it firsthand. Exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I think it's a, it's a lovely tradition. So mm -hmm. I, I hate to see traditions just disappearing. Uh, same. But at the same time, you just have to acknowledge that as people get more educated by what they're seeing happening around the world, they want a piece mm -hmm. of that pie. <laughs>
That makes sense. They're seeing celebrities in big wedding gowns and exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All the things that they can see on social media too. Mm-hmm. So how do you stay on top of what's going on all over the world <laughs> and everything from art and entertainment, music, books, all the things that you have mentioned, do you have a huge team of people and you divide and conquer or how does that work? Well, I, you know, I've developed a lot of colleagues um, mm-hmm. over the years and uh, we share information. And uh, in addition to that, I mentioned the meetings that I go to twice annually, um, in, usually in London, occasionally they're held in other places. And I do the big trade shows. I do Maison en Objet and I do um, mm. Ambiente and I also do the Milan Furniture Fair. Oh, uh, dreamy. I have friends there as well who are, have a color group in Milan. Um, Wonderful. I stay with them. So we share a lot of thoughts and ideas. And of course, just being there and walking around. And I mean, the Milan Design District is just incredible. Oh. I, I mean, it, you know, the Milanese have a wonderful sense of, of, of color and style. and um, Everything. Yes, they do. And, and of course, Paris, you know, where Maison is held. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think that going is great. But honestly, today, I've got so many contacts and so much that I get online that it's, it's like mm-hmm. people on the street <laughs> in that city. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you have the street sound, just watching people on the street. Exactly, exactly. Patterns that are developing there. So I think it's all very fascinating. Of course, what you can't get online is the great food, but. <laughs> no kidding. Oh, and just watching the people, just watching the woman, you know, in her high heels and her skirt, get on her Vespa and put on her helmet and go to work. I know, I know. <laughs> oh, and look like a million bucks. It's amazing. Exactly. Oh. Let's talk about your 10 books. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't believe it's 10, and I'm, I'm thinking seriously about number 11. The 10 book started with the book that was devoted to um, personal image, because mm-hmm. that's the field I was teaching in, and my husband was a music publisher, and so he knew the value of, of publishing, and mm-hmm. he was carrying my color boards to a, a presentation I was doing to... Um, school administrators about color and uh, how they could use color within their schools, within the way they dressed, you know, how color could be influential. He said, Mm -hmm. I'll carry your boards for you and I'll stay for an hour because he had never really heard me do a presentation. Well, he wound up staying the whole day. And at the end of the day, he said to me, you have to write a book. He said, because if you don't, somebody's going to come hear one of your presentations and they're going to take your concepts and they're going to write a book. And uh, I said, okay. I called a friend of mine who worked for the LA Times. And I said, uh, Margie, and she had been a student of mine as well. I said, Margie, how do you write a book? <laughs> and I said, Lee, you're a teacher. You write your outlines for your classes. You, you do your presentations. You write, you say what, you know, you write what you say. And I said, oh, okay, I can do that. So my husband said, okay, we're going to take the kids on a vacation. We went to Ensenada, Mexico. And then he took the kids snorkeling and doing all that fun stuff. And I stayed on the balcony overlooking the ocean with my little typewriter and started tapping away. Um, Long story short, I submitted the book to seven publishers. I got lovely rejection letters all saying, 
great idea. You write very well, but we can't sell enough books. There aren't enough people interested in the subject of color. And I said, oh boy, are they wrong? It's an idea whose time has come. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I know that that's going to happen. And of course, what did happen was that Color Me Beautiful came out. She beat me to the punch. And so I was very depressed. And I thought there, but for the grace of God, go I. Mm. But my friend Margie, the writer, said, Lee, call the publisher who did Color Me Beautiful. And I said, but he's already mm. done a book. She said, but if he's done a book and he's having success, he wants to do another book because mm -hmm. he wants another success. And I thought, well, that's logical. So I called him on a Saturday. He happened to be in the office. I thought I was just going to leave a message. He was there. He said, do you ever, and I told him who I was, what I did. He loved the fact that my husband was in show business. He was a, a devotee of movies. He said, can you interview some of the stars for your book? And I said, sure. I, you know, I have contact with them. So he said, do you ever get to Washington? I said, it so happens I'm going to be there next Tuesday. Of course, I <laughs> Faintest idea of being in Washington the following Tuesday. <laughs> I hung up, called the airlines, you know, and got on a plane on Tuesday. And on Wednesday, I had an appointment in his office. And Wednesday afternoon, I had a deal with the publisher to do my book. Um, and so the first book came out. Um, it came to the attention of, of, as I said, the owner of Pantone. We had some mutual friends. We belong, I belonged to an organization where somebody who worked for Pantone was there. Um, Rogers and Cowan, uh, Henry Rogers was also a friend and uh, he knew Larry very well. So sometimes it, you know, it's who you know, <laughs> it helps a little bit. And, um, but Larry really loved the idea, the concept that I put forward. And that started the whole connection with the Pantone Color Institute. Um, and the rest I mentioned, uh, you know, in my introduction. That's fabulous. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's been a long road because as I said, it was not a well-known area when I started out. I think today people understand the value of color so mm -hmm. much more than they did before. Maybe, I mean, some people have always gotten it. Anybody in the design field, artists and people heavily involved in color. But for the average consumer, you know, they often didn't know why they were drawn to a particular bar of soap on the on the shelf, mm -hmm. why a particular color in a dress um, appealed to them. Sometimes they knew very obviously that they look good in the color and they got warm fuzzies every time they wore it. I mean, there are different reasons why people choose a color. Mm -hmm. But understanding what, what validates, you know, I, I always say to my students, a lot of the things I tell you, you probably already instinctively know. Mm -hmm. Now you have validation and now right. you have reasons for it. And that's the aha moment. Oh my goodness, of course. Uh, and you can use that in your own, if you are a professional, you use that in your practice. If you're not a professional, but you're using color for your own enjoyment, uh, it gives you greater enjoyment to understand the reason why you love or don't love a color and maybe have some insights that are gonna help you overcome that dislike. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, yes to all of that, mm -hmm. absolutely. So that is, leads to this next question, mm -hmm. the science behind color. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, there's the physiological aspect of color, uh, which is, very much connected to the psychological aspect of color. 
my studies have taken me into how the physiological effects of the human body. I'm not a technophobe. Of course, I, I've learned how to use color on the computer and um, because you have to today, we all are conversing digitally. But for me, it's more important to understand how the physiological aspect of color affects us. For example, uh, the color red, you know, which is the most obvious to start with. Uh, red is the color that people associate with um, danger, um, assertion, um, it's dynamic, it's energy, uh, it's also fire and flame. So there's, uh, there's some danger that's associated with red as well as excitement. And that comes about because of even in the earliest days in, in you know, prehistoric times, people learned that when they could light a fire, that if you got too close to the fire, you get burned, it was dangerous. But at the same time, fire helped to sustain you and keep you warm. So there is that positive and negative aspect that is instilled in the human brain that's been there since time immemorial. Now, that does not preclude that you may have fallen off that red tricycle or bicycle when you were five years old and you develop another feeling about red because of your personal experience, still, we instinctively understand and we are also taught the signals that go along with color. You walk down the street with your mama, you're holding her hand, uh, the light turns red and she said, oh, we have to stop. We can't go in the street, hold my hand, hold tightly. So you learn that red is a warning signal. So there are various ways that we get these messages about color, some of it instinctive and intrinsic, instilled in the human brain, others uh, learned, and of course, the culture in which we live, um, the trends that we are seeing, all of these play into, um, into, if you will, the science of color, because it's a very mm -hmm. broad spectrum. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, the color wheel, all that. That's so interesting. I was thinking about um, when clients say to me, um, oh, I could never wear red. That tells you so much about their personality to me. Right, right, exactly. Um, you know, uh -huh. not, a little dangerous, not bold. You know, it's uh -huh. fun to put them in red and let them. You have to delve into that. Why is it that they say they can never wear red? And, and we, of course, both know that there are mm -hmm. warm reds and there are cool reds. <laughs> you know, there are true reds, there are deep reds. There are all kinds of reds in the red family. Absolutely. Yeah, to put that umbrella over the whole color family and say, I can't wear it. Right. Uh, it's kind of sad uh, because you, you're missing a great experience with a color that might be wonderful for you and make you feel great. Absolutely. I think it has a lot to do with not wanting to attract attention to mm -hmm. Once they start wearing it, they'll feel really empowered. It's just getting them to, you know, to try it in the right, right shade. Okay. I love the idea of color as the silent salesperson. Can you extrapolate on that? Well, that's what I was alluding to about the bar of soap on the, on the supermarket. Right. right. Um, whatever it's packaged in that bar of soap is going to immediately give you a message before you ever uh, buy it before you put it in mm -hmm. your shopping cart. And so as a result, we've got to be very cautious about when we're working on packaging, 
that that gives a message even before they see the product. As soon as they see the packaging, the message is delivered. And if you're walking down a supermarket aisle, you've got about 0.03 seconds uh, that your eye scans an object. <laughs> and mm-hmm. as a result, it's got to catch your eye right away and maybe even draw you back to look at mm-hmm. it again. Or maybe you're in another aisle and you say, oh, I forgot the soap. I need to go back and look again. And your eye will go back to what you picked up immediately. But it's because you are looking for something in that soap. I want a soap that is going to be gentle on my skin. Um, Maybe it's going to have a nice scent. Um, All the things that you generally will think about, maybe not overtly think about, but it's all of this is, is in, you know, it's running around in your brain as you're making a decision. And so you'll go back to that packaging that promises what you're looking for from that, from that product. So mm-hmm. that's what we mean by silent salesman. And of mm-hmm. course, even if you go on a job interview, if we're talking about your apparel, uh, the color that you're wearing is going to give a message even before you open your mouth to speak. So it's important to judge what kind of a job it is, what you think the general attitude of the organization that you're going to be working for, you know, you are, you're rehearsing for that job. You go in for an interview. So it is an important consideration. Yes. You can sabotage yourself or really help yourself greatly by the colors that you wear, especially in interviews when you're trying to make a positive first impression. Mm -hmm. You've touched on this, but are there any other things you want to add about some of the psychological and emotional aspects of color? Well, I think that, you know, having worked with people uh, for so long, for me, it's that personal connection that you make, whether it's uh, an individual who is having their wardrobe and colors done, or it's the CEO of a company that you're, you're trying to get an idea across to. It is that connecting link that color helps you to connect with. Once you start questioning people about, tell me about your favorite colors, tell me about your least favorite colors, tell me why, you're going to find out so much about that person. They're going to reveal so much of themselves in what they answer. And as a, uh, as a professional, I can tell you that that, well, some people say, well, isn't that getting a little too personal, a little too nosy? And I will say, no, I, I don't think so. I think people are looking in a professional for, for help and advice. And that's why they come to you in the first place, or they, you know, wouldn't have hired you to do a specific job, regardless of what that might be involving color. So it shows a great deal of interest. I do want to know more about you. And I don't want to just arbitrarily say to you, oh, no, 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 you should never wear that color. I want to hear about how you feel about that color and let me know. Now, if you say to me, my mother said that nice girls don't wear red, you know, too much red, uh, depending again on demographics and where she was raised. If you delve into that and you know that there is a shade of red that's going to be terrific on her, then you start to talk about that and you say, but you know, there are certain shades of red and you know that starting out with the brightest tone may not be the best because of what she's already told you. She assumes that's going to be too attention getting. So maybe we look at something that's a little deeper, maybe a lighter variation of red. You know, pinks are in the red family. So when we talk about a a color family, it's not just bright true red. 
can also be a wine or it can be a pink. They're all members of the red family. So that's part of how you educate your client. And I think that's really important, educating your client to the fact that there are so many parameters. There are so many things to investigate. It's not just look at a color wheel and just think in terms of primary and secondary colors. There are many variations and there's also the possibility of the way that you combine your colors. I mean, again, going back to that kid that's inside your head, that little child that plays with the crayons, what fun it is when you take something that maybe has been hanging in the closet for a few years, you still like it. It's a nice garment, but you got kind of tired of it because you wore it with the same accessories, the same look all the time, same color combination. Now you take it out and you look at it with fresh eyes. You know what? I did that yellow with the usual. I did it with browns and I did it with greens, you know, the analogous colors. But now I'm going to try that yellow with a, with a lavender. It never occurred to me. I'm going to cross that color wheel and I'm going to look at colors on the other side of the wheel and see what I can contrive. It's, it's helping people to get more creative with color. And it's, a very, it's, it's not only aesthetically pleasing, but it's a very practical approach because you can find other things in your closet or you can look for something that's a trend that you can wear with those pants that you haven't worn in two years, but they're perfectly wearable. They look good on you. They're comfortable. Why not shop in your own closet and, and create a new color combination? So those are some added aspects of the enjoyment of getting to know more about the psychology of color and why and how people react to it. And, you know, sometimes I'll have a conversation with a client about, oh, well, this, like, well, I have had that a long time in my closet. Oh, but it's the Pantone color of the year. Uh-huh. You know, colors come back up or new versions of it. So, you know, you have things, like you said, in your own closet that can be very much on trend. And I always tell people, if there is a color that you love and that year it is the color of the year or one of the colors of the year, you know, get as much of it as you can because, you know, other years there might not be any bubblegum pink, but right now you're going to find it all over the place or whatever the color is. So good advice. Well, you're the ones, one that's coming up with the trend. So where and how do the color trends start? Well, I think that the explanation that I gave you in the beginning, where are the areas that we look at? And I think that also in the fashion field, we have to remember that the textile industry is very important because you have new technology. I didn't talk much about technology, but that certainly is a part of it. We look at what new technologies uh, are coming down the pike. And when you go to a lot of the trade shows that I go to, you see these amazing displays of fabric possible to create before, but they're creating new color effects. So you might have a beautiful shade of blue, but now you see it in a, a color effect that changes the variation of that. I didn't mention industrial design and automobiles because I did talk about the fact that I'm a member of the Industrial Design Society because we look for mm-hmm. trends there now. Years ago, that wasn't true. They were the last to embrace a new trend. Mm-hmm. Today, they've got people out combing the world, looking around for new trend direction, but what's really driving them is the technology behind what creates the paints and what creates the fabric in the case of the interior or fashion field. And Mm -hmm. that is often a big indicator of where we can go with color because now it's possible to create that color. Yeah. The textile industry is a fascinating, I don't think anyone that 
that wasn't familiar with that would guess that's where a lot of trends were coming from. Yes, yes, because then the designers get inspired by what right. they see that the textile manufacturers are now able to do with color. Exactly, yes. Okay, tell us a little more about the Eisman Center for Color Information and Training and the services that you all offer. Well, I do a series of uh, online classes. I do one that is based on um, the color image, uh, the personal image, which mm-hmm. is designed for stylists, for color consultants, for wardrobe consultants, for hairstylists and makeup artists, because it involves the usage of personal color. And mm-hmm. I teach that through the color clock concept that I mentioned earlier that is included in my book, More Alive with Color. Mm-hmm. That's one class that I teach. Another class that I teach is the color design program. And that is for people who want to learn to do what I do. <laughs> Essentially, it's based primarily on the psychology of color. We look at each color family and the messages that they imply, uh, where they come from, all the things that we talked about. There's also a section on trends in that particular program. There is also a section on the business of color, how you go about creating a career for yourself if you are in an allied field or you're not in an allied field and you, you'd really like to change what you're doing and you know that you've got a good sense of color uh, and you've always been fascinated and, and love the subject of color, but you've never known how to go about doing it. I would say there are a lot of people that take that class who are already professionals in color, and they're always looking for information to substantiate uh, and validate what they already know or to learn something new or a new way of of addressing that. So that is essentially kind of an umbrella over what is taught in that color design program. I'm also uh, working on another program around the crossover colors which are a portion of the colors that are included in the more alive with color concept, but it is something that you could use in any area of color where there are 18 to 20 core colors that are included in that palette. Some of them neutral, some of them basic, some of them staples, several brights, some pastels, which are the colors that are extremely versatile uh, that rarely go out of style, if ever, and so they're very, they become very classic colors. And that's going to be a shorter course for those people who really are interested in learning more about those core colors and how they can be integrated with other colors as well. So that essentially is what I do in the way of training, which of course is my passion because I love to work with people and I love to get to know them. Um, And I've had people from all over the world take the training. So that's been a fascinating experience as well. Uh, When they're finished the training, they also have the option of having some time with me, um, a Zoom meeting, so that they can ask additional questions if they want to. Um, And then the other part of my business, of course, my Pantone hat, where I consult for Pantone and help them in their brand imaging, and other assignments that come through Pantone. I work on the forecast for Pantone and have been doing that for a long time. And um, the other aspect is my color business, which is more of the more color consulting. So I wear three hats at this point. That's a lot of hats, but it's all (laughs) 
considered your own color and it's fabulous. Yeah, yeah. And each separate one I think is fascinating. I think it's really interesting how you work with businesses and kind of all the things you have to go through if people are like not understanding the importance of color or resisting a certain color to choose for the product or the brand, the logo, the brand color are so imperative. So it's all wonderful. What is next for you? Well, I didn't mention the other 10 books. I I won't go into them, but I did book a color in uh, for product. I did color for graphic design. I did color for interiors. Uh, wherever color really has a strong presence, I felt that there was a need to do a book around that. As far as the future is concerned, I just want to continue to do more of the same. I'm hoping that eventually we can get back to in-person training. But honestly, the online training offers the opportunity for people to take the class at their own speed. You know, if they've got mm-hmm. a full-time job or whatever, they can mm-hmm. wake up in the middle of the night and take the class in their jammies if they want to. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no travel involved, so it's less expensive. And mm-hmm. um, I found that I was able to add more information to the online course because I'm not hampered by, oops, your hour is over. <laughs> right. You have to leave the, the premises. So uh, I find that very freeing for me as a teacher to be able mm-hmm. to embrace more in, in my classes. And if anybody's interested in my books, they are available online. A signed copy would be available through LeatriceEisman.com. Or if they are interested in more information about the classes, they can also go on to LeatriceEisman.com. And there is a training section that gives you more detail. So that's really your hub is yourname.com. Uh-huh. Yes. Yes. All right. Well, we can't wait to find out what the next color of the year is going to be. And we appreciate so much you spending this time with us. I think this is going to be a fascinating episode for for everyone. Here we are with the color of the year, right? I know. How are you doing with the madness? Oh, it's, it's amazing. I mean... We've gotten, Pantone has gotten over a billion hits. Wow. It's astounding. Absolutely. And and this has happened every single year. It just gets crazier and crazier. I mean, it just has started that conversation we wanted to do all those years ago. Oh, isn't that great? That's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Well, we've been having so much fun looking at the reactions and everybody talking about it and... Um, looking for the color when we see things. What were we looking at? Something yesterday we were like, oh, there's Perry Perry all over this. Very Perry. <laughs> over this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's it's a challenge because um, you know, and, and that's one of the things we're we want to do is to challenge people, you know, not give them just a same old, same old color that, that doesn't have any significance. Right. This one had a lot of significance this year. The meaning behind it was uh, was pretty deep, and um, we dug deep to to get to get you know the explanations across so that people would understand the symbolism of the color. So uh, obviously, you don't please everyone. Everybody's got a personal opinion about color, you know. But yeah. as I tell my students all the time and, and in my presentations to retailers and people who work with color, when I hear somebody say, I, ha- I hate that color or I love that color, 
that's not a good thing for a professional to say. You're reflecting your own personal choice Mm -hmm. as opposed to being professional about the color and thinking in terms of where are you going to use it? How are you going to use it? The context of the color. You know, it has to be more than just a personal, I hate it, I love it. And uh, some people understand that totally and others still don't. And, and, you know, it's all about whether they like it or dislike it, it, you know, without looking at the symbolism behind it. Oh, sure. And it starts the conversation, and that's that's what we're hoping to do. Well, it does. And I remember we were talking to an artist one time, and he said, you know, whether you love it or hate it, you're having a reaction, and that's what I care about. Uh-huh. So exactly. starts the conversation. So um, I haven't really heard of anybody saying they hated it, though. But, you know, it's such a pretty color. I think it's really lovely. Yeah, thank you. Well, I like it so much that I've used it in my bedroom. So (laughs) I have a lot of it around. (laughs) When we were talking to you, like, how long have you known that that was going to be? I know you said you work on it for a year so. It's not quite a year. We we start to discuss it the spring before, early spring, the year before, because we know that we're going to need to come up with something within the next few months. And we have to have time to collect our thoughts and to collect our nuggets of information. Generally, we started, as I said, in springtime, we start our discussions. By summer, we're pretty much on it and, mm-hmm. and nailed it down. Wonderful. So will you tell us all about Very Perry, the fact that it is a new color that's usually not used for the Pantone color of the year, the meaning behind Very Perry, all the things. Well, um, there's a lot to tell, but it really is a color that is part of the beloved blue family. And I say beloved because we know all over the world it's a favorite color family. Um, But we've added the red-violet undertone, which is what enhances the blue from the standpoint of adding more warmth and more meaning to the color. The red-violet undertone is where the energy comes from in the color. So that's what makes Perry, very Perry, unique. If you ask people what temperature blue is, they will generally say cool, and that for the most part, is the immediate response. But then when you start to look at nuances of the color, what do you add as an undertone? What else is present? Then you start to add other elements to the color. So you're, it's the warmest of all the blues, and it is the happiest of all the blues because it does have that energy that is part of the undertone. In addition to that, it is a color that we very much can identify with futurism, We often think in terms of digitized color being in those uh, in the blue family, but more the vibrant types of blues. And it also has that violet undertone, which is the purplish shade, which is um, more of the creative self-expression part of the spectrum. So you've got a lot going for this shade of blue in that it has variations of the undertone that give a different perspective to the color. And for that reason, Pantone opted to create a new color. Literally, it is not a color that exists in the system, in the current system. It's a color that was created with our help and the scientists of Pantone 
so that we got exactly the nuance that we wanted. And there was a lot of back and forth to make sure that, you know, that what we were looking at really was on target. There's a lot more work involved than people might realize is involved. So um, that gives you some of the psychological background as well as the more scientific aspect of it. That's the reason for it. Now, the whole idea of newness came about because we are living in a very strange circumstances that we're still very unaccustomed to. Uncertain times, you know, what does the future hold? We are excited about new technologies and we're looking forward to it. At the same time, we know that there are other things that are happening in our world that, that we sometimes feel powerless to do much about. Um, so it, it raises that anxiety. And um, the Blue family does help to reduce some of the anxiety, but at the same time, add some energy. So it's, it's kind of, a, you know, it's kind of a, a line that you walk between, between the two. And again, that was another reason for choosing Very Perry. That makes so much sense to me because the blue part of it is sort of like calming. You know, you think of calming and then there's a little bit of this, you know, the purple hues, mm -hmm. which is, you know, exciting, upbeat. So uh, <laughs> that makes sense. I mean, it really is amazing how you pulled all that together and say so much in a color. Well, you know, I know that you guys get it. And I know for some people who don't understand color that well, it really it starts to intrigue them. And they say, wow, we didn't know that much went into the creation of a color or a color could have that much meaning. But we all know that. And now it's a question of getting it across to, um, to others who aren't as familiar to show them that there are these nuances and undertones and meanings and how we arrive at it, which I think is uh, always fascinating to people. Too, I think they just need to be made aware of it and they will start thinking about it and thinking about how different colors make them feel. Mm -hmm. um, it really does open up a whole new aspect of how we react with color and why mm -hmm. it's important to think about. So honored to be able to talk to you, the one that oh my gosh, came up with this. It's just amazing. I know. And what about Very Perry, the name? Is there anything to yes. say? Yeah, that is the name, Very Perry. Uh, V-E-R-Y-P-E-R-I. Very Perry. So did you help in choosing that name for the new color? Yes. And again, it's back and forth, but I liked it because I felt it was catchy. It was simple. And it really got across the idea of the intensity of the color, the very Perry. It's not just a periwinkle, but it's a very mm -hmm. Perry. And the fact that it rhymes is kind yeah. of like beat, hopeful, yeah. positive. Exactly. There's a little bit of whimsy that's attached and, and, you know, and good cheer, you know, that's involved in it, too, which we're all we're all needing a great deal these days. Most definitely. Mm -hmm. I think it's also interesting, too. I don't know if you do since you create it and then the interpretations. But I feel like a lot of the, for example, in Women's Wear Daily, they were showing different celebrities who have already been wearing it on the red carpet. And I was feeling like it was actually a little bit more purple, yet they were saying it was mm -hmm. these people have already been wearing very Perry. So how do you feel about the nuances that go into the different shades? Well, you know, it, a lot of it depends on how it comes up on your computer screen 
and how it looks, you know, in other digitized versions, you're always going to have a bit of dissimilarity because even before digitized color, you know that sometimes you specify a color in a plastic or a paint chip or a textile, and you'd say, oh, you know, it's not quite right on, but, but there, that, that is always a question with color. It, it depends on the substrate that you use it in. But as long as you start out with the, you know, the, the essential Pantone color and you try to get it as close as you possibly can. And so if it has a little more purple, it could be the lights on the runway, the light treatment on the runway, you know, in a photography studio. Is it taken outside? Is it taken inside? You know, all these things enter into the way the color appears and the fabrication itself. Is it a shiny surface like a, a taffetized fabric or is it very dull or is it plush? You know, all of these things are going to are going to hit it. But I think, again, as long as people get as fairly close as they can so that they don't depart so much from the color that it's a totally different color. It is essentially in the blue family with a strong violet red undertone. Makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. My question would be, so if these people were already wearing it on the runway, how did they find out about it? Well, the red carpet. Oh, the red. <laughs> they didn't find out. It was just simply happenstance, to be perfectly oh, honest. Yeah. Okay. Um, the only people that know about it ahead of time are Pantone licensees who are making products. And, you know, we have, I had just this morning, a furniture manufacturer in Milan that I, I look at their offerings all the time because they make gorgeous stuff. And they sent me maybe five different articles, velvet chairs, various other things that were not quite exactly very peri, but close enough. Mm -hmm. And they, of course, were delighted because they already have it in the line. And so they, you know, they're quick to point out that they have this color already. Um, but as I said, they're also licensees who know the color ahead of time, and then they put it out in the marketplace. So, um, it, you know, it works both ways. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Well, we are so excited and we congratulate you on the revelation and also <laughs> creation of an entirely new color, very Perry. We can't I wait. like the word revelation. That's a good word. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes, it has been revealed. I mean, that <laughs> is <laughs> the world. And all the meaning that goes into it, too. We've mm-hmm. thoroughly enjoyed reading the articles, as we said. Well, thank you so much. Is there anything else you'd like to add? No, but just to thank you for the opportunity to share this uh, with your people. And uh, I look forward to hearing from you again. All righty. Okay. Well, thank you so much. And rest up. Happy holidays. Thank you. Thank you. Have a happy holiday. You, you too. too. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning into this episode on the Style That Binds Us podcast. If you like this podcast, make sure to tell a friend and subscribe. You can be a part of growing with us. Also, do you know about our weekly newsletter? You'll get access to exclusive content in our newsletter that we don't post anywhere else. Our newsletter comes out every Tuesday with the exception of the third Thursday of the month for Allison's special Celebrating Life After 40 edition. Head to the bottom of the Style That Binds Us website to subscribe.